Welcome to Unbox Your Gift, Episode 3, The Fat and the Thin of Finding Your Passion. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. My name is Rita Joyant, and on this podcast, I want to show, not even show you, but I want to share with you an example of how finding your passion changes everything in the most unforeseen circumstances. So get this, I get uh, a lot of people who I've worked with and they've said to me that they feel too old or too young or too um, fill in the blanks. There is always something following the two. I feel too something. And therefore that's the limitation, the holdback for them moving forward and finding that real thing, their passion. And so I wanted to share an insight with you that really changed my perspective when I read this and I thought it would really uplift yours to see where you are in your journey of your passion, whether you're embarking on it, whether you're in it, whether you are actually executing on your passion, wherever that journey is for you. Let's, um, let's see how we can dive deeper into it. So there's this lady by the name of Jean and One of the things that she struggles, Jean in particular, is that she struggles with her weight. Now, throughout her whole life, she has gone to school and she's always hung out with the overweight girls. You know, her friends at school used to hang, hang out together because they were the overweight ones, they were united by size, and they envied the girls who seemed to never put on weight no matter how much they ate. So... It felt like thin girls were from another cast to Jean. And fat girls just looked at food and they got fat. I mean, most women feel that way that I talk to. So by the time Jean was in her late teens, basically she thought the, thought the world was in two groups. The one group who were fat and the other that were thin. There was the fat group and the thin. And so by 24, Jean marries a man... Um, Marty Deitch, Nidich, I should say. I think that's the way you pronounce it, N-I-D-E-T-C-H, Nidich, uh, who, who himself was also an overweight, an overweight man, and they met in a diner. She had two sons, and the piles and piles of weight that she felt was piling on her body just was not budging. So she's given birth to two babies, two baby boys, but she just feels like she can't lose any of the weight. And she had a a self-confessed addiction to cookies. So one day she's at the supermarket and she's shopping and there's a neighbour who greeted her and kind of said, hey, Jean, how are you going? You know, when are you due? And she wasn't pregnant. And she knew at that point she had to do something. So she was 39 years old and weighed over 15 stone. So the only time that she could have done anything was at this point in her life right now because she knew something had to change. And the only thing she knew that was available to lose the weight was an obesity clinic um, run by the New York City Health Department. So New York City was running these uh, obesity clinics that would help people lose weight. And so she would attend them every Wednesday... And the program actually helped her lose weight really fast. And she realised that the power of the program was really how regular the meetings were and the camaraderie with fighting the same battle. So all her life she realised that she was fat because she she hung around people who were also overweight. And what she realised was going to these 
clinics in New York City was that, number one, they were regular meetings, and number two, that they all had the same level of... Well, they, they all shared the same goal of wanting to lose weight, and therefore she realised that that was one of the real big reasons why she was losing the weight quite rapidly is because, yes, they were all overweight, but, yes, they also shared the same common goal of wanting to reduce weight quite fast. So her friends started to notice her new figure, and they wanted to join her, but they couldn't be bothered travelling to Manhattan every week. Now, don't, I'm from Australia, so I don't know how far Manhattan is from the actual place where Jean lived, but there was a distance involved, so therefore they didn't want to commute to, the, to Manhattan. So what Jean decided to do was to have her friends over to her apartment every Thursday, where basically she would learn what she would at the clinic on the Wednesday and then teach that same lesson to her friends on the Thursday evening at her place. So these get-togethers became so popular at her house that she reached a point where there wasn't enough chairs in the living room. So she began renting a loft above a cinema and holding weight loss meetings three times a day after breakfast, lunch and dinner for the price of a movie ticket. So anyway, as this was growing, as these meetings were growing and as people were attending and, and seeing the results of the weight being shed, um, she hatched an idea. A businessman approached her and a kind of a friend, businessman friend, and hatched the idea of franchising so that other people could run their own meetings without her. Now, let me just paint the picture. This is 1963. Jean's now 40 years old. She's realised that these meetings are actually making a difference in people's lives and they're actually getting weight loss results. She quits her job as a clerk at the local tax office and she launches her business, her little business at the time, called, wait for it, Weight Watchers International. Holy guacamole. Isn't that incredible? So 10 years later, now looking at 1973, there are thousands of groups across America, Canada, Europe, and Jean Nidech is a wealthy woman. And the point of this is, the point of this story is that no matter where you are in your journey, this idea was born out of desperation, more desperation than any kind of strategy or design or anything. She needed a breakthrough in her own, own life and realised that others wanted the same type of breakthrough but couldn't or didn't want to go to commute to where she was commuting to. And she solved the problem by having the same meetings at a nearby location. And then it became so popular that she had the meetings three times a day for the price of a movie ticket. And what this shows is that, you know, the, your passion doesn't have to be something outside of you, which is why this works so well. Passion is found what's within you, what's within me, what's within us. Because anytime we look for passion or what seems to stimulate us, ignite us, create a level of fire in us outside of ourselves, that's when it becomes stressful, that's when it becomes hard, that's when it becomes like we're pushing up a hard hill and can't see the top. And I believe that in sharing the story with you, well, my interpretation of it is that because it was a struggle of her own personal journey 
And she re so it was an internal reason why she wanted to move with this, not for any business reason, not for any passion reason, but just for her own health and for wanting to make a change. And that change triggered and became, <clears throat> excuse me, the domino effect for moving forward and helping someone else. Because a lot of the times I, I, I have worked with clients and they say, the number one thing people want is to do work that matters. They want to do work that helps other people, uh, work that has meaning, that helps, that contributes. And the one way in which we want to do that is we want to look outside. But we all have a God-given gift that once we just pay attention to what that is, the help will come because the help comes from you anyway. And so what I find with something like Jean's story and creating Weight Watchers it was herself that she was trying to help. And as a result of helping herself so effectively and her friends seeing the effect of what these meetings were doing to her body, to her mind, to her lifestyle, they too wanted a piece of the action. And so she just attended to the difference that was being made, being made in her life, wanted to attend that same difference to her friends. And that just followed in making the difference, the meaning for others. And in case you're interested, Jean still is a, a consultant to the organisation. Um, well, she had been. And she basically lived her life on two, on two fields. One was the fat office clerk before 40. And after 40, the thin, famous, rich figurehead of a worldwide movement. And the reason why I'm bringing out the age 40 is because a lot of people think that, especially in, in the culture, it's all about... The young people, the young people. And the young people, yes, they are very deserved of knowing that they are the future. But if you exist, you are the present. Anyone that says you are the future, I don't agree with that because the future doesn't belong to anyone that's not going to live it. And who has the guarantee of living in the future? You know, tomorrow is the future. The next moment is the future. But who has the guarantee they're going to be living and breathing in the next moment, in the next year, in the next decade? And the next, you know, no one has that guarantee. So the future, I find, is something very that's talked about in the culture. But who we all are, whether we're 7, 17, or 70, or 170, whoever we are, what we have is the moment, is the, is the absolute present moment. And it's taking charge of that present moment because no other time is guaranteed. And so I'm sharing that because a lot of the time people say to me, but I'm over 40 or I'm over 50 or I'm over 60 or I'm over 30 or I'm over, yes, even 25-year-olds. <laughs> it's crazy. But my point is that whatever age you are, whatever age we all are, it's really irrelevant because all we have is the present. And the culture talks about how the young 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 to 3-year-olds. And the reason why they talk about that because they're more likely to go ahead and take a risk to do things that are not normal, normal as in stay safe or stay cocooned. And that's why I believe that the conversation always revolves around a younger generation because they're more willing, whereas the older generation are less willing and so why is it, you know, it's harder to motivate people who don't want to be motivated and it's easier to motivate those who want to be motivated. So that's why the conversation primarily uh, circulates around speaking about how young people can be the movement, can be the change, can be the, the leaders, are the, are the leaders, are the future 
progress makers of our world. And yes, that's all true. But so too, if you're in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, your 90s, I just... Uh, saw a woman this morning at 90 years old who sleeps at 8 p.m. in the evening, wakes up at 6 a.m., works on a farm on her own, um, bakes, cooks, completely active all day. And what that shows me is that it's only what we have right now is the present moment. And as long as we take charge of the present moment, we don't have to wait or give permission for a number to dictate whether we're smart enough, old enough, young enough, good enough, pretty enough, um, thin enough, fat enough, whatever it is, that doesn't have to be the precursor to stop us from moving with a passion and having a breakthrough. Because a lot of the times we stop a breakthrough from happening because there's a limitation. And Weight Watchers International has helped so many people around the world simply because a woman was concerned about her own weight. And as people were seeing the results, they wanted to know how they too could benefit from what Jean was doing. So I wanted to share that and to see how that could inspire you. And this is a story not only for you, but it's an advice for me too, because we're all on the journey of evolving our passion. Who we are changes. And as such, so too does our passion. And as long as we embrace the journey and not embrace the number, as long as we embrace the journey and not the number of how many years we've been on the planet, that is how we can live in the present. That, I believe, is how we can make the contribution and have a life of meaning, contribution, and leave a legacy. Mm -hmm.